0: Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor-scholars dig into a seasonally relevant passage of scripture that we hope will be equipping for pastors and teachers and leaders in the churches, as well as just uh, edifying and enjoyable for all who might be listening in. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach uh, systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And our guest this week is Dr. Sophia Fasua. She's been a guest one time before, and I hope that she can be on again. She's one of my favorite guests to have on, one of my favorite interpreters of scripture and preachers. And uh, she's a fellow uh, professor for Wesley Seminary, associate professor of systematic theology. This is her last year. In fact, she is retiring. And so I'm uh, honored that she's taking some time out to join us And this text, uh, the text for this week, though, is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. And we base that on the Revised Common Lectionary. And this is the text for the 16th Sunday after Pentecost in year C, which this year in 2019 is September 29th. So yeah, that's our text. Thanks so much that you've joined us. Enjoy the show. (laughs) Shall we jump in? All right. Um, Would you be uh, open to reading the passage, or would you rather pray after I read it? You you choose, which sounds more up your alley today.
1: Oh, I don't mind uh, reading the passage. Uh, Go for it. We're 16, 19 to 31. Is that right?
0: That is right. Luke 16, 19 through 31.
1: There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so and no one can cross from there to us he said then father i beg you to send him to my father's house for i have five brothers that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment abraham replied they have moses and the prophets they should listen to them he said no father abraham but if someone goes to them from the dead they will repent he said to them him If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead and there ends the reading.
0: Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks be to God. (laughs) (sighs)
0: Let's say a word of prayer for our time. Okay. Let us pray. Father, I ask that the very self same Holy Spirit that was moving In your son Jesus, when he spoke words such as these. And moving afresh in your uh, servant Luke, when he wrote these words down in remembrance of Jesus' teaching. And that same spirit that's been poured out on the church in anticipation of it being poured out on all flesh, that very self-same spirit of God. May that spirit of God be at work among us as well, <laughs> Lord. This is a big ask for us,
1: mm-hmm. but,
0: a, but a small ask for you. <laughs> it's it's according to your nature to help us and to guide us, but it is um, according to your will when and how your spirit's help comes. And so we dare to ask that we would not lean only on our own understanding, but that we would be quickened and awakened to see and hear what your spirit is saying and showing. I ask this not only for Sophia and I, but for all those separated across space and time who are listening in uh, to our conversation. May the spirit be not only in them, assuring them of your love for them, but upon them, equipping them, to see and hear, and so speak and show the word of God. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word of God. Amen. Amen. uh, The last time we had you on, you were my my first guest after Aaron. Uh, Oh,
1: great! It's not a
0: coincidence, because I love talking the scriptures with you, and we didn't We haven't got to do a ton of it in our years together. because No,
1: we haven't, and that's
0: a shame. Faculty colleagues end up spending, you know, I think students imagine that we're always just, you know, talking about our subject matter. But most of the time, you're doing administrative things and policy. I know,
1: busy work. (laughs) Yeah, it's
0: it's the nature of of the life. But the text that we just happened to be on back, you know, last year was Luke 5, which is your call text. It was this wonderful gift.
1: Yeah. Yeah, my call text.
0: And I literally was thinking this morning, well, this one's not going to be like a special one for her, right? Uh, you know, this is kind of... Oh, a,
1: it turns out, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a text that I've I've handled repeatedly. It's a text that is. Uh, it sounds like an archaic situation. Yeah. You know, because it, you can go to any number of uh, two-thirds world countries mm. and to to this country in in some, certain respects, and find that there are assumptions about privilege. Huh. This is really a text about privilege, uh, and and it doesn't it doesn't have to imply that a person with money or status or privilege is is a, a inherently an evil person. It just so turns out that this rich man had privilege had class had clout had authority had servants and yeah. had all of that and 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 was also hard hearted and evil it doesn't always have to be that way it doesn't always have to be that way but he's kind of like the poster child for what not to do when you have money
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes.
1: <laughs> and then by 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 um contrast Not all of the poor are super virtuous, (laughs) but this poor man just happened to be a man of virtue because he was taken into Abraham's bosom. Yeah. So we can't valorize the poor, nor can we demonize the rich. But it just so happened that this particular man and this particular man were exact opposite opposites on the moral scale, in a sense. And so the, the, the story becomes instructive because of the opposites there and because of the lessons that we have in classism, in privilege and in underprivilege or, or no privilege at all. Mm. And, and, and the extremes that are shown in ordinary society here, they are exaggerated. But uh, I'm sure the first century hearers heard them as a normative story. I've lived in, um, in in overseas, you know, as, as a missionary I served in Ghana, West Africa, and it is still quite normal to have a privileged class that knows it and, and, and pretty much wears the status that goes along with that, and mm-hmm. to have an underclass that depends upon the privileged class for its sustenance. That's pretty normative, you know, yeah. in, in, in in two-thirds of the world, and it's normative in parts of this country. We just don't talk about it. Yeah. And and so I don't think that the story is a a, a scathing uh, rejoinder against people of privilege. It's how the privilege is used and how the people that are not privileged are regarded by them. (laughs) I think that's the moral of the story as you're getting down to it. If you, if you should be uh, of the privileged class, because we're having a lot, of, a lot of conversations about privilege, especially as we're talking about in diversity conversations, mm. it's not a sin to be privileged. It's a sin what you do with the privilege. Mm. And so you've got this, this rich man. Uh, it looks like he's used to ordering people around because he's in hell ordering folks around. <laughs> oh, that's a good insight. Yeah, right. Yes. All right, all right right and lazarus does he realize what's happened to him oh wow it is so ingrained in this man that i have privilege and people should serve me that he's in the bad place asking to be served he learned nothing from his predicament
0: yeah you can see it the 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 the, the, he he took uh the privilege scale as his paradigm. Yes. Into hell with him.
1: Into hell with him.
0: Such that, so he respects Abraham. You can see he it in the language, Abraham. right? Yes. He calls on him for mercy the way you'd call on. I mean, that's it's yeah. a prayer. It's yeah. the way you call on God. So he's respecting. He's saying, "Hey, send that, <laughs> send your send little. He used to
1: hang around by my house. That's right.
0: <laughs> knows him by name, which is striking. knows him
1: by name. Yes,
0: very striking. So he knew about this man. He in, knew about appeal to ignorance, you know, and, and you're right about the relationship between them being central in a way that I don't know if I've even seen before, because I mean, the text doesn't say it shows, but doesn't say what you're no. saying. It shows it by highlighting that he that, that Lazarus had been put there.
1: had know? been put there. Yeah.
0: It's uh verse. Uh, um, yeah. It was right out of the gate. Verse 20.
1: Mm-hmm. And a
0: more, a poor man named Lazarus, had been laid there right yeah. and even the passive is relevant there because it means somebody stuck him there maybe his family that he And I
1: and with. I've seen yeah. in other countries uh but you know this is this is the plight of the poor that I don't think we realize in this country. We 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 insulate ourselves. We put the screen yeah. between. You know when you go on on an airplane and there's first class mm-hmm. and there's there's the others of us <laughs> and how they pull the screen so that you cannot even see what goes on in the first class cabin. We have insulated ourselves from the underclass in such a way that we don't realize what goes on there, and so. Um, I I watched in Ghana that some of the poor beggars that I would see out on the corners, their families would bring them there and station them there for the day in the hot sun to do their part in earning the family's um, living. Uh, Some of the families I met were so poor, and I, I tell this frequently, they were so poor they didn't even have salt. If you went to their home and there was a meal to be cooked, they had to send out for everything, including salt, salt and pepper. They didn't have mm-hmm. they're so poor they didn't have salt. And so these are, are families that maybe there's the average family where we, we were serving had six children and every one of the children had a little job to do to bring home some pennies tonight. So that when we all get our pennies together, we will go to the market and find some vegetables and maybe a little piece of meat or something like that. We'll put them together and we'll have the family stew that will be our one meal for the day. And this child participated by selling gum. That one participated by selling water on the to the travelers on the road. That one participated by and the one who was handicapped participated by standing on the road begging. Mm-hmm. And so the family will come and get him and expect that he's got something to show for his day out in the sun. You know, so that at the end of the day, we can all eat because it takes all of us to make that one pot. And we don't understand the plight of the poor in this country. We're insulated from it. So I I, I think um, this is this is um, a a difficult passage because uh, I can remember feeling that I was maybe lower middle class, you know, cause pastors don't make much money. You know how that goes. And I was a full-time pastor. I didn't work another job. Uh, so I, I left the country feeling that I'm maybe lower middle class and I go to this other country and all of a sudden I'm considered the upper class and I had to learn how to be, I knew how to feel poor, you know because I grew up in a poor neighborhood and I knew how to feel lower middle class, but I didn't know that 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 wealth and privilege has its responsibilities for those who are around us. We are our brothers and our sisters keeper. Yeah, right. And and, and I don't think we challenge one another on this. We challenge one another on it racially. And that's some of the diversity conversations that we're having now. But for those of us who have more than two dimes to rub together have not been sufficiently challenged on our relationship with the underclass, with the people who are every child is working at the end of the day to come together and put together a meal. We haven't seen that. It was heartbreaking to see children searching in the trash heaps to find saleable plastics that they could take to a a dealer who would sell plastic jars, buy plastic jars and this and that and the other. The things we throw away and and, and turn that into a few pennies so that they could come home and say, I got mine today. You know, so you've got a whole children that should be in school. Yeah. You've got a whole family being resourceful to come together at the end of the day. And he's part of a system like that, I'm suspecting. You know, because I found that many of the two thirds countries mirror the, 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 the social systems that we find in yes. biblical times as well. So he's he's got a bad lot. He's so poor and he's so pitiful. Even the dogs try to give him some comfort. Yeah, you know? Oh, yeah. You know, so and he, I'll take anything that falls from the table. I mean, I mean anything so that I'm not a burden to my family. and So that I, can just, I can just survive in time. He dies. And the, uh, the old rich man hasn't learned anything. I think that's the story here. He didn't learn anything. He demonstrated it twice. Well, if you won't send him to me, send him to my family. (laughs) (laughs) He's still ordering Lazarus around. (laughs) You know, okay, he's he's well enough to go now. So send him to my family so that my five brothers, he hasn't learned anything. And so this passage comes and smacks us in the face. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it does. It smacks us in the face and suggests to us that we need to learn how to be with one another, no matter what our social class and status might be.
0: Yeah. I think that your that contextual insight of yours about is small thing, but to make a bigger point, I think has a lot of relevance about terms of our um, learning from this text in our Mm -hmm. own time, because we have such a kind of sort of a default uh, sort of atomistic individualism, in North America that we, which is bound up with the way that we tend to speak of the wealthy and the poor as those who work and those who don't right is the language that gets used. And even language of begging is often not viewed by North Americans, myself included. I don't tend to think of that as work and you can see it as work when you see it in a social context of a family in a way that honestly I've never even seen. I see this guy, right? I picture him and by you zooming out, and riffing off that the 21st century uh Ghana experience and yeah. it, the, the connections it would have with first century Palestinian experience the uh that he would be a part most likely. I've always just kind of pictured him sitting out there, but of course yeah, it, just the way it's written him is, is he's right. out there yeah but so him being put there, I'm suddenly now picturing that, not as if someone left him there, mm-hmm. you know like at, like at an orphanage, as it were but perhaps bringing him there day after day and picking him up at the end of the day
1: and picking this him up at the post end the as it
0: were this is his yeah. way of contributing to the family soup and right. and your picture of that really helps me then even think I'm already jumping ahead to preaching but it's it's relevant even for interpreting it where it's like how do i make sure that we don't just use kind of standard language of have and have not or mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. or makers and takers to use <laughs> right 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 language of Fox News, but i mean like like kind of this notion that he's just it's like no he's actually attempting to contribute this is how his family maybe somebody
1: give you something to eat and you won't need as much when you get home you know it won't
0: be a burden on your family then exactly they're not they're not having to take from theirs so to see him as part of a system not only i mean i've always seen him in a system with this man yeah yeah at the bottom and top of a privilege Scale, but of course, that's taking it in, uh, from the point of view of the rich man. I'm reading it oh, from really? <laughs> and I'm wanting to learn how to not do that. Read it from Lazarus' perspective is to see him again to move horizontally rather than vertically and to see him as part of a community, part of a family,
1: part of a community,
0: and him trying to play his role. Um, and that, and that's helpful, uh, at least for me to kind of see him with more humanity. And more dignity, even though it's only a little bit of humanity, a little bit of only dignity. A
1: little bit of doesn't <laughs> have much left. I, I think you, you've raised it He's important. He's got a name.
0: <laughs> and the rich man doesn't, which is not irrelevant, I think. Do his <laughs> dignity. There you go. He's named. He's yeah. not a generic poor man. He. Yeah. So, it, Christ is trying to help us see the great humanity. I know
1: his life. name. Man.
0: Right. He matters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. You're starting to go. On. No, I, I,
1: I, I was going <laughs> to say that how we define community helps us read this text.
0: Oh, okay, say more.
1: Um, going back to my Ghana experience, I learned so much there. <laughs> I, I learned so much there about being Christian, hmm. because we do not define community um, by, uh, to include those that we exclude or don't see. Let me, let me say more about that. When a person becomes mentally challenged— We technically exclude them from from community by either putting them out of the house and then they become many of our homeless that are out wandering right now Mm -hmm. or by putting them in a place that we have reserved for others with light challenge. We put them in a home. Our elderly are not always considered part of community. They are excluded from our fellowship so we don't have to see this. And we put them in a place when they're no longer functional and no longer contribute to the household or society or whatever, or them even are able to take care of themselves, we put them someplace. They are no longer a part of community. Hmm. We do the same thing with those who fail to launch. <laughs> you, know I mean? you, yeah. you, you know, those who oh, fail to launch, those who just can't get their careers together and so forth and so on, they're out somewhere wandering. We do not embrace them or envelop them as part of our community. But two thirds world countries tend to include all of those people. And so I watched the mentally insane who were only uh, institutionalized if they became a danger to their neighbors. I mean, and they could be in all kinds of states that I thought, oh, my goodness, we don't see this because we had this. Where I come from. And I could see them go to anybody's doorstop and folks would find something to feed them. And I mean, not necessarily family members, just neighbors. Our responsibility is to feed the, the people who are, are out of their minds right now. I saw that the elderly, they didn't even have nursing homes where I lived in, in Ghana. And, and I asked the question about that and they were horrified yeah. that we put our old people away. And they said to me this proverb, they take care of you when you had no teeth. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know? so 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 i'm saying that def- community is defined differently in other places and we've become so wed to the nuclear family as the standard for uh. defining our personal community uh, that we we've we've lost this whole idea that that he was probably part of somebody's family and they relied upon him at least go eat you know if you can't if you can't get any money then go eat maybe somebody had pity on you we're going to put you out there because you're part of all of us you know so, so yeah. now back to this, this whole issue of the differences between the upper class and the underclass and how we define that. Now, we tend to valorize those who make money. They must know something because yeah. they have money. And we tend to demonize and tra- challenge the morality of those who are found begging on the streets. And yet you find this is not the first beggar that God has said something about. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you look at the blind man on the road, by the the side of the road, on the the road begging, I think it's the Jericho Jericho Road. Have mercy upon me, son of David. Have mercy. And he's using biblical language. Yeah. Now the people who are traveling with Jesus, they're they're going. I think they're going to festival or something. They're traveling with Jesus, and they're telling him to shut up because you're yeah. disrupting our our party, you know, and all of that. And 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 part of what strikes me when I go back to that passage, which is not the one under consideration, is Hopefully that they religion. didn't expect the blind man to have religion. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, seriously, who yeah. has sinned, the man or his family, and that he is born blind is it, in right. another passage. So we, we as a, as human beings have tended to question the morality of the down and out and say that if they, if they've been smarter if they'd been more diligent, if they had worked harder, if they had whatever, then they wouldn't be in that position. And those who do well have money and they, they have, they have, they have means by which they can buy their shalom if it doesn't come to them, you know? Yeah. So, so this is a, another assumption. And it's an assumption from biblical times to the present that is being challenged, that the rich have morals. Well, we're learning something about that right now, that the rich have morals and the poor are amoral or immoral? You know, they don't think like us. And so, can I read this piece? That because this is a piece I've been working with a long oh, time, yes, please, and please, I please. think I wrote this piece uh, during the recession. Yeah. I think I wrote this during the two thousand eight two thousand nine recession when I was dealing with this piece once before. And and for those of you who are not familiar with anything about my background, for ten years I wrote lectionary commentary for the United Methodist Church pastors on all the lection passages that came up. And uh, some years I'd concentrate on the Old Testament, others on the New Testament, others on the epistles. But this was this was my year to deal with Lazarus. It was during the recession, I believe. And this is called the Gulf between us. Hmm. There is such a great gulf between us, me walking on the other side of the street, me riding by fast in my air-conditioned car, you standing on the street corner or sitting on the ground, reduced to depending upon the kindness of strangers, at the same time feeling the strangeness that we could be and feeling the estrangement we have imposed. I could be you, And you could be me if circumstances had been different. That could have been me sitting in the dirt, hands extended for mercy, trying to look non-threatening. And you could be the one turning your head, looking the other way. Prayer. God, remind me that she could have been me Hmm. and we could easily become them if just one or two paychecks lose their way. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, with that, let's take a short break and then come back and dig in even more deeper. All right. (laughs) And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my special guest, Dr. Sophia Vasua, uh, my wonderful colleague at Wesley Seminary. Um, thanks again, Sophia, for being with us and for sharing what you just shared from uh, some of your previous writing with doing uh, a, r- the written version of this kind of work, going through the lectionary to help mm-hmm. uh, pastors. Um, so, yeah. Um, what was that from, again, the text, if someone wanted to look it up? Or... Oh, this
1: is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31.
0: And how about the uh, the thing that you read that you had written down? Was that published in one of your Uh,
1: This could be published in the Africana Worship Book, and it might still be on site on site at the General Board of uh, Discipleship or Discipleship Resources uh, website.
0: Uh, They
1: they carried my materials out there. If they look under the um, support references for the uh, Sunday of Pentecost that this is right now um, and look and find the text, they might find this resource out there.
0: On the UMC website, okay. On the
1: UMC cool. website, cool. along cool. with a prayer for the poor that hopefully I can close with uh, as, as uh, we're closing on, on the yeah. uh, on the end of the day. But um, do that.
0: Man, you were already fully prepped for this text, but years ago, which is kind of well, the whole idea.
1: Yeah, I spent <laughs> 10 years rotating through the lectionary every three years um, and, and working with certain texts, and some became beloved texts that I went to uh, homiletically. Mm. Because, you know, depending on what the preaching assignment was and all, and where I was called to go or whatever, some of them I came back to because I couldn't mm. let them go or maybe they wouldn't let me go, you know. Wow. But, you know, there's something in here that I really would wonder if we might just kind of talk about for a bit because we don't have many direct references to what the afterlife is like. Yeah, in, especially in the New Testament texts, you know, there's not a whole lot of it's a lot of tap dancing and double talk. You know, when we start yep. trying to describe to people, what is the afterlife like? And I thought this was one of the clearest places that we could see some allusion to to what's going on in the afterlife. So you find out that the poor man died. Or I'm, I'm in verse 22. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels. To be with Abraham, mm-hmm. I mean that's pretty explicit right there, yeah. and that's a lot more information than we normally get. Uh, the rich man also died and was buried. They didn't talk about anybody carrying him away. He yes, just died, that's and buried. Relevant.
0: Yep. yep.
1: So just those two verses are enough to do theological study for a long time to talk about what is the state of of, of souls in the afterlife. Then it says the rich man also died was buried in Hades which means mm-hmm. that there, that he wasn't in heaven, you know, yeah. in Hades, where he was being tormented. So that's more information right there. First of all, that there's a place where people who are not so good go and that that is not just a place of being where my soul is asleep. Because, you know, these doctrines of soul sleep and all of that are are, 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 are too replendant. Um he and we're is, live
0: options at that time, so right. You know, so this is this is this is falling off the log within the range of views in the first century as well.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So he is being tormented. Now, this is the part that I thought was quite interesting. He looked up and saw Abraham yeah. far away with Lazarus by his side. You know, so I always had this notion that if you've gone to the bad place, if you're in Hades, you can't see anything else. But obviously, either he was granted a vision mm-hmm. of Lazarus and Abraham in heaven, or there, there even though there's the gulf that one can see the other, that t- kind of oh, mind blowing uh, so, to me right now. So
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so bizarre, and it's why I mean, when I was alluding to my surprise that this was among your favorite texts, uh, or yeah. uh, <laughs> so it's a du- it's a double layer because it's 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 uh, it's ethically in terms of um, a sort of ethical economics of very challenging texts, but not the only, yes. right. But then it also has this very strange uh, and kind of shocking eschatology, um, yes. which doesn't happen a lot, but there are other texts. There this are, is maybe yeah. the only text in the New Testament I, I've been thinking about the, thinking this yeah. through where those two come into like, you know, such proximity that they're bound up with each other, right. That, yeah that the eschaton, that, 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 that the afterlife is the language by which we articulate the inversion of this uh, scale of privilege yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, yeah. that's painted at the beginning. It's
1: upside down now. Challenging. Yeah, he's been
0: challenging it all yeah. throughout his ministry, especially in Luke, right? He's been challenging this scale of privilege uh, and the assumptions of who's up and who's down. right. But he's taking it all. The I mean, this is ratching it up, as you know, as in in the to the nth degree to right. sort of identify it as you know a a, a total flip, right? So that the Lazarus is now in this kind of place of um, consolation. I think was the word that
1: appeared. consolation, yes. comforted. He's consolation. being comforted here.
0: Yeah, which is what he lacked in his in his in his uh, time.
1: Had a pretty miserable <laughs> exi- existence. Yep. But now he's being comforted here.
0: His only comfort was the, uh, the, 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 the tongues of the rich man's the dogs, dog, right? The
1: dog. Because
0: that scene is actually a, it's, it's a, it's a disgraceful scene in that culture and, and even would be yes. in our time. But it's a, it's a bizarrely tender scene, those dogs. It's kind of like right. these are his only friends, as it, as it were. you know.
1: Almost. His only friends out there while he's doing his job for the day. Because his job that day was to beg, you know. Because
0: the dogs would have been at the bottom of the scale of privilege within that oh, yeah. rich man's home. So he's even below the dogs. He's right? even
1: below the dogs. Because so. the dogs get to eat what fall from the table. <laughs> Sorry.
0: So they, they're below the kids. They're below the servants.
1: Right, right, right. The dogs get to eat what fall from the table. Because, you know, the, the Syrophoenician woman says even the puppies. Yes. Yep get to eat what falls from the table. I'm just asking for the crumbs, you know? So, and that's a whole nother sermon, but we we to go over <laughs> over there.
0: <laughs> but then you see that, that just totally flipped and then radicalized because um, it's not just now that Lazarus is rich. He's he's being consoled in the bosom of Abraham, um, whatever that means. Uh, <laughs> and
1: Abraham came and got him.
0: Yeah, yeah. Along
1: with the angels, so so you know this eschatology is it just kind of flies in the face of everything Hollywood that we have said about heaven. Yeah, you know the light, the tunnel, the trek you take, you know, and all of that, and whether you were walking before, you're going to walk down this. We 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 see none of that there.
0: And I think a a starting point for interpretation for me is it's it's helpful to just highlight that the word heaven. And the word hell do not appear in this text. No. I'm not saying it's not relevant for our thinking. No, 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 no.
1: But but, but to the point, the words that we use are not the words that they use. That might
0: be helpful because it helps us see that the only only location really that we get is Abraham's bosom. That's all we get. Abraham's bosom. Back to your point about community. It's who he's with. Yes. He's receiving consolation, the consolation that was due him from the rich man because he is part of the rich man's family
1: and community. Yes.
0: And community, right. Community, not family. I mean, yes, but again, oh, back to the early, it's our assumptions about a family, as you called it earlier, the, the immediate family as the, the kind nuclear
1: of, family. Yeah. The
0: nuclear family that, that even is rooted in a way we treat our own, you know, extended family members, let alone neighbors and such. And, and that's why I said individualism earlier, but individualism is relevant, but the more, that the almost more precise term would be atomism, right? We think in terms of an atom, a, th- a single individual Type. unit, yes. right? Yeah, and that unit might not always be an individual. I think modern modern folks, even modern Christians, talk a lot about the family unit, right? But it's still this monad; it's the single thing yes. that has a yes. sharp yes. boundary around it, right? And everybody knows that if my own child was covered in sores and in need, I owe oh. them. That. And it doesn't. I wouldn't say, "Oh, you're not working for it." No, I owe it to them precisely because they're my child. Yeah. And when we disrupt that atomism though, and start to think of them as all being a part of, and the Abraham language is not irrelevant, right? Yeah. All Abraham's children. So that's why family and community are one here. He, a number of times, you know, Jesus will talk about twice. There's a woman in Luke. There's two different women in Luke that he refers to as a daughter of Israel. Daughter of Israel. That's right. Similar thing. So we're all, you know, all the children of Israel are, the sons and daughters of Abraham, right, so long f- to be in the in the bosom of Abraham, at the right side of Abraham, in, in community with him, in fellowship with him, and it's precisely the brokenness of fellowship between the rich man and Lazarus, right, right, that is. That brings with it the consequence of him. That means he was breaking fellowship with Abraham. Yeah, um, and so he's the, the, the
1: fact that it, it, as much as Haiti you have done it to I'm the saying. least of these, you have done it That's to right. me. You know, all of that starts to come together at this point. Uh, there's yes. another thing, and I hope I'm not chasing a bunny rabbit at this. Point. Oh, chase it, chase it. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, okay when when I when I came through Bible College, um, I'm trying to think. I don't think the NIV had been published yet, and we were all still in King James. And there's a phrase that I remember reading through the Old Testament multiple times. This one died and was gathered to his fathers. Yes, yes, yes. yep. And I haven't, you know, it's, it's occurring to me as we're talking here, so I don't have time to do the, you know, the textual uh, chasing that we normally would do when something like that intrigues, intrigues us. But gathered to his fathers is an act of community, just like th- this Lazarus being gathered by Abraham, you yep. know?
0: Yep. I've actually done a little study on that. So oh, I, have you? Great. <laughs> we're having a crazy week of uh coincidental background. Yes, we I are. actually absolutely love this text too. I'm a weirdo just like you, <laughs>
1: uh, but we're uh, in good company.
0: <laughs> yeah. That was a compliment. I use weirdo always as a compliment, but anyway. Uh, so that text is a euphemism that, that in, in ancient Hebrew, that's a euphemism for the bones being brought into, you know, so, you know, burial was two stages, the, the
1: bone library. Yeah. Right?
0: So you die. And then after you decompose, then the bones are then taken and put in an ossuary mm-hmm. and gathered to, so to be gathered to the fathers can be just simply euphemism for the bones mm-hmm. being placed in the cave. And in the case of the patriarchs in Genesis, that's the, that that that's sp- very important. Sure. Cave. There's a whole chapter on it, that cave that Abraham buys as a tomb for yes, him and his family. Yes. And you may recall that Jacob's bones
1: were brought back,
0: brought back 400 years later to Israel to be back with them. So that gathering to the fathers has this very kind of literal, well, it's, it's a euphemism for a very literal gathering of what remains of the flesh, which is just the bones. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it has that layer, but then this is why it's relevant for the first century when you talk about the different afterlife options. So the reading I just gave which I think has some basis in the historical reconstruction of the Torah, mm-hmm. um, the, a strict reading where that's the only meaning would have been the view of the Sadducees. That's yes, all yes, that yes. it means. Because they don't
1: Abraham's, believe in the afterlife. Yeah. Even
0: Abraham's bosom, that just means Abraham's bosom is up the road. It's up, you know, it's up. In that up, cave. <laughs> exactly. That is Abraham's bosom, is to be back. Because bosom, it actually can just mean next to or next to. It doesn't always have to mm-hmm, be. mm mm-hmm. Uh, it's fellowship. It's a, word, it's a euphemism for closeness, fellowship, and it could be physical mm-hmm. nearness to his bones, right? So there's that, and the honor of being buried properly rather than just being left out uh, on a battlefield, for instance, or right, thrown in right, an right, unmarked place. Right, right. And then you've got the Pharisee party, which Jesus is closer to in terms of eschatology, and in terms of most things, in fact. Mm-hmm. He's much closer to the Pharisees. And the Pharisee view would say that, no, no, in fact, the phrase that you just quoted, to Gather be to, your gathered to the fathers is evidence that the Torah teaches resurrection, right? Because that phrase doesn't mean, you know, God, God you know, just it, God is God of the living, not the dead, right?
1: Right. So, and and but, if there is a community yes. or a cloud of witnesses, you might call it, you know, yes. there's a community in the afterlife that we join.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so here you see Jesus using pharisaic eschatology yes the language of that world to critique uh those including pharisees who are um not taking the responsibility for those in great need right so it's very it's very striking that he's using this this language. So I think you're dead right to see that as I don't think that's just a rabbit <laughs> or it is. No. Well, Rele-
1: yeah, the, you know, the, la- the language seems to support what happened here to Abraham in this text. Uh and and you know, maybe they're using used mystic language or whatever, but the point yeah. that, that that happens is Abraham and the angels come and gather him. They pick him up. Mm -hmm. They take him with, you know, he doesn't have to make his last journey because we use that kind of language, even in evangelical Christianity. I've got one more river to cross and all this kind of, you know, we use that language to to suggest that there's still something we do at death.
0: Ah, that's a good insight. I mean, that's a very talk. Now, this is now this is a rabbit and I won't stay on this one. But (laughs) one of one of the deep insights of uh, of Heidegger's philosophy is the notion of the modern self seeks to will its own death, right? To turn yes. the one thing that undermines our own subjectivity mm-hmm. into our own active agency and subjectivity mm-hmm. because the modern self, everything has to flow from our own will or it's, or it's a threat to right. us, you know? That's that atomism again. And that can be done on a, on the level of, again, any kind of unit, family unit. It can be the, na- the nation and Heidegger himself, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, fell into National Socialism precisely because of this kind of thinking, I think. But, but he's Heidegger is helpful in helping us see what modernity's assumptions are, even if those assumptions are uh, heretical and sinister. Uh, to see that that yeah. there's a a desire in us, you see it even in our meta, in our practice of medicine, to kind of make everything. You know what are what choices am I making so that mm-hmm. my death is and, mine? And that, that's
1: that 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 the whole issue of control. We are so right. in control of that's our right. destiny and of our path and of our walk and of our. This man had no control.
0: Yeah, which and is God why God came
1: and gathered him. Yeah,
0: and that that's, that's beautiful. It is very tender, and that's it does, very tender, and it does call into question our assumption about our own control.
1: Exactly, the
0: heart of our self, because. I mean, the fact is, is ten out of ten people die. I mean, immortality <laughs> yeah, remains. Die. Yeah, mortality remains this defining feature, which again is something I think Heidegger was very insightful about, and and that it's a threat to the modern notion of a self as one who controls one's it, destiny. It, it,
1: like exactly, call, this man life. had no control in life or in death. God yeah. was in control of his destiny,
0: and so the rich man is then exposed for having only seemed to have been.
1: In charge, right, right, <laughs> right, right. Because actually, this whole thing of send Lazarus to come and cool my tongue and all that—that that was an attempt ah. at the usual, the usual pattern. <laughs> I'm yes. usually in control here. I order this. No, because you're not in control, and and and, and, and you know, I, I, I imagine he wouldn't learn where he was. <laughs> you know? The time for learning had passed. Uh, but but the whole notion of self-sufficiency and being able to always have it my way do it my way get what i want and all of that which has crept into theology mm-hmm. of late
0: mm-hmm.
1: is mm-hmm. also being challenged in this text
0: yeah and it's bound those it's deeply connected with the 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 economic injustice is yes. rooted in this kind of notion of my own kind of uh controlling my own destiny kind of thinking. The more we break out of that, the quicker we are to have pity on those who have not been as lucky as us. Right. Because it's much more a matter of luck and favor than it is. Luck
1: and favor, connections, uh, sometimes social location when you're born. It's a lot of things that come into into play.
0: And regard that as a blessing to be shared and distributed rather than as a possession to be clung to and draw a line around as you were talking about that he's doing at the gate boy. And it really does then in terms of back to the, to the afterlife stuff, right. Mm-hmm. To sort of challenge the notion of an afterlife that you're doing here. I don't know if I've ever even thought about this, like to challenge the notion of an afterlife as the kind of last act of the soul after the body dies. Right. It's yeah. like, and this is much more, this is very visceral, very bodily. As you said, he just was mm-hmm. buried. And then he's saying, he's hey, buried. Oh. And it doesn't say they carried his soul just says no. they carried him. Now I'm not trying to speculate. I'm just wanting to highlight
1: the text is really
0: real, tortured versus
1: about bosom,
0: Consoled by the, at the bosom, and this very yeah. highly embodied, which is hinting at, but, but again, it's even why it's helpful to think of it less as heaven and hell and Hades and Abraham's bosom and mm-hmm. the closeness of it. Because in some sense, we're, this is, Stories being told by Jesus prior to his yes. own resurrection. Yes. And therefore, and in a, and in a pharisaic context, this is prior to the final resurrection. This is a kind right. of, I think right. this is an intermediate state picture. This is not a picture of the, the end. No. Per se. He's using the language much more of a, those who are still waiting for a proper resurrection. because. Mm-hmm. The, the last couple lines end up becoming... Because this is actually an Easter passage. That's what's weird. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's that, what I, that is how kind of how I ended up with You
0: know, that's kind of my field is resurrection study stuff. So I ended up realizing this text is pretty straightforwardly in the last line. It gets the last line. The punchline of the story mm-hmm. is, hey, they have Moses and the prophets.
1: Yeah, and if don't they listen- don't listen to them, neither they will be convinced even if one rise from the dead. Oh my heavens. I mean,
0: you can hear Jesus saying that as kind of a hint at what's to come. I think so. You can hear Luke writing it down then decades later yes. as they're stressing over the fact that, you know what? Some don't believe. Well, guess what? Even if someone comes back from the dead, you know, won't believe. <laughs> and vice versa, those who are truly listening to Moses and the prophets are already ready. They have what it takes to live the life that Christ is inviting. Mm-hmm. Us to. There's mm-hmm. no new doctrine here. Right. right.
1: Um, I, I also think it, it 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 smacks the face of that universal salvation doctrine that's floating around now. <laughs> you think? <laughs> I think I think it slaps the face of that one because there's well, some not going to believe no matter what happened here.
0: Yep, and and also smacks both in universalistic mode or but it also it's funny it's like it smacks a universalism a kind of liberal universalism that gets everybody sure in, sure. Well, at the same time, pushes back on a kind of a sort of reformational evangelicalism says it's primarily just about my belief yeah. and my afterlife. Yes. Cause this is saying, Luke's pretty clearly here. No, there is a final uh, split, but the yes. split has to do with how you treat other people.
1: It has to do with, <laughs> with, with, your response to the gospel. <laughs> yes, that's right. You're re- there. You go response to the gospel. There you go. <laughs> wow. And I I think that that bridges kind of naturally into what, how you preached from the passage like this.
0: That's perfect. Let's take a quick break and come back and explore that for a couple minutes. Sound good? Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Dr. Sophia Fasua, and we're looking at Luke chapter 16, Verses nineteen through the end of the chapter, verse thirty-one, and yeah, we were just coming in at the end, thinking about where we might go with this uh, homiletically. What, what, what's what's brewing in you if you were going to be preaching on this soon, or for our listeners, ideas you might have for them? Where 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 do you might want, want to go with this?
1: Um, as I mentioned when we were in our kind of informal time before we started re- uh, re- taping, I had this as a choice for, for a preaching engagement that's coming up, and and I I walked away from it mainly because it's such a Difficult text to hear, but I think if we could enlarge our vision of what it means to be in community with one another, then along with that comes responsibility for Lazarus in some way. I don't think I need to have to necessarily take him home and give him a back room, you know, but I I can't ignore him if he's part of my community. And I think enlarging how we see one another past the atomistic, as you've talked about, or the nuclear family, you know, views, into seeing that all that we come in, con- who is my neighbor? You know, mm-hmm. all of that, I think, is what this passage is really screaming at us about. And that there is no time to realize that after we breathe our last. It's some? It's a task we have. For walking on this earth is to learn to recognize and respond to one another as members of the same human family.
0: Man, I can't help but just given. I mean, it's been highlighted more in the last two years, but it's been going on even in the previous administration. The just the the crisis at our our borders and at the European borders exactly, exactly. at the gates, and I can't help but that's part of why I brought in atomism earlier. Uh, cause it, you can do, you can think of the unit, the atom as the nation state that's outside. I'm not responsible. And just that picture of those with sores and in need, and to hear you talk about it, the language you said, redefining community is the starting point for responsibility. And it's in this life that we have to take that responsibility. Life. And that, that really does, but it's a vision of the next life that helps us to see our common humanity perhaps.
1: Yes. Yes. Know?
0: Yes. And it's helpful though, to say that to take our responsibility as the starting point being in redefinition of community, because what you're not saying is just simply an abstract duty to help people, you know, like, no, 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 Right. This isn't just, Hey, here's a duty that you should do. And then, you know, God will like you and reward you with heaven. You know, that's not what you're saying. That's not what the text
1: is I I think that Christianity seeks to redefine community. Yeah, yeah. When did we see you hungry or naked or in prison or in trouble or sick and and didn't visit you? When did we see you? And as much as you have done it to the least of my brother and you've done, that's a redefinition of, of Christian community beyond any notion that culture may have given us that God offers us a new way to vision one another and it didn't say and and we're only talking about the believers because you know we all know these churches that have food pantries just for believers yeah but who was hungry who was who was naked who was in trouble that's my community there and the and the gospel clearly in so many texts like this one in the Matthew 25 Texans and then in other places defines what the, the, the new notion of my neighbor or my community looks like. If I could just get that down, I think the other pieces would fall into place. So yeah, politically yeah. I would go after that today.
0: Yeah, that's essential. Cause, cause the virtue of the man Lazarus is, is revealed in, yeah. in his uh, location after death. Yes. Um. but it was it was hidden
1: it was hidden in this life.
0: all that we know in this life is that he was poor that he's covered in sores. yeah right? I mean, we don't we don't there's nothing that says and he was a good man no worthy. Nothing. Uh, No. it's not about his virtue his identity it's simply his humanity that that right. cries forth for compassion
1: right and
0: and even going back to what you said right out of the gate at the beginning of the the, the podcast I mean I, I don't want the text to not be challenging, but no. it's to remember that, like you said, the, the sinfulness of the rich man is not the fact of his rich, rich. No. Right? Those no. are blessing. It's what he did with them. And it's clear that he held them for himself and for his family. Right. And privilege. And even, yep. And, the, and his way of thinking. Yes, right? Everyone's on a privilege scale, right? He takes that to hell with him. Like you saw that. So even making that distinction between privileges, privilege and and wealth is even yeah, helpful because yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. to break down the privilege means to, to bless others with, those, with the blessings one has. And that's relevant even for this Gates language. With, if, if someone in a sermon wanted to, felt led to, to say something about the way we treat uh, even those outside our nation, mm-hmm. um, one could say his sinfulness wasn't having a gate. It was ignoring those who were at the gate, right? Because I ignoring those kinda, who at the gate. You, you bring this up, you're going to get emails, right? Saying, "Well, you're yeah. saying no borders." It's like, no, you're allowed to have gates. Uh, there is danger. But what
1: do you do with your? But gate? What
0: do you do? What do you do with the gate? And I think, again, I don't want to make the passage easier. I want to. I want to be specific about what the text is saying and not saying. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that the sinfulness. Of uh, the rich man is the is the the turning away, the ignoring. Whether yeah. that's ignorance or ignoring, either way, right. it's it's culpable. Uh, right. to to regard those in need as not a member of one's family.
1: Because right now I'm forced to question: Had the rich man intervened, would Lazarus have died in the way he did? ha. <laughs> Well, that's that. I mean, I'm not trying to go there right now, but my mind goes there. Was there something he could have done? Hmm. I mean, he's obviously sick, he's got these sores. Mm-hmm. So, was there something he could have done to, 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 to even help? And, and, and it takes me back, you know, like I said, I learned so much in Ghana. Uh, any we, we had uh, a place where where our students who were pastors could come and live with us for a couple of weeks for training and for, you know, like we, we were working with Wycliffe translators and all sorts of things. I'll tell you about the work one day, but, but, but we had all these, we had this big complex sort of. And so we had to have people work for us, which I've never had in my life, mm. you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and um, when they got sick, uh-huh. they would come to us with the expectation that we would take them to the doctor and pay the bill. And that kind of blew my mind at first. It's like, really? You know, but, but then I began to wonder, yeah, they're in my community now. Just like I take my own child to the doctor, I would take them to, and and I did, you know, because that was the, that was the culture and the expectation that if I knew you were sick, I would help you get well. Woo. So then I come back here and, and I, I, I don't even want to go into the despair that I go, through yeah. over our relationships with one another, but to know that there, I can make no expectation that if I get down, you might help me get up as a matter of community. But so, so I've, I've got to deal with Lazarus dying out there with no medical attention.
0: I mean, the connection's relevant because not that he should help Lazarus just to help himself, no, but having said that. That's the way community works is we give and take. And the fact is, is man, if rich man helped this guy out, Lazarus would volunteer to work on his farm. I mean, come on. Like there it's, you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So and the so, fact is, yeah. Lazarus would rather be planting in this rich man's fields. Yes. He, would rather, he would rather be working.
1: He I mean, would rather be worth that compared to, to, compared some, to what stuff. he was doing. Yeah. No, um, there would be a bond between them that would never yeah. be broken. Yep. So, so we're, we're really, um, it, it's a clash of cultures, because the biblical culture and the culture of the two-thirds world mm-hmm. are in competition against what we see as normal, and, and, yeah. and can we say that what is normal m- mirrors the gospel normal? Yeah, and the gospel normal is this redefinition of community, where I am my brother's keeper, where I visit the sick, where I deal with the ones in prison, where I feed and clothe the naked. You know, and and so so, this is all. This is challenging me as an American Christian. Yeah, and that might get you stoned out your pulpit. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I think the languaging helps though to say it's challenging me as yeah. the preacher, not just me. I'm the prophet challenging you, my people. No. Right? But I'm under the challenge that this text brings. And I think starting with that vulnerability, it helps a little. I mean, you still, it might, helps get, a
1: little bit. still might
0: get run out. but uh, that
1: might get run out. Yeah, really.
0: <laughs> but uh, at least it can take some of the edge off. Because sometimes... Sometimes they're persecuting us because we're telling the truth. Sometimes they're persecuting us because we're being a jerk. Uh, <laughs> because
1: of the way we told our yeah. truth. Yes. That's right. That's
0: right. So so discerning that distinction, I think, is important. But I'm hearing kind of three movements in a sermon that this could apply. This isn't three points per se. It's more movements. But just
1: movements. Yeah. Like, you,
0: you, you caught the reference there. Yeah. So the opening movement, and this could cross a lot of different sermons, could have a similar three three movement threefold movement okay the opening movement I would feel would have something to do with what we were just discussing there to try to experience the story to paint a picture maybe for instance I mean if it was you preaching you could tell some stories from God some kind of storytelling at images mm-hmm. from our own world or for the two-thirds or perhaps two-thirds were I it would be really helpful to break us out of our patterns because mm-hmm. then you could bring it home later but Uh, painting a picture about just to kind of get us in this more communal mode about how this story works and the expectations. There'd be lots of ways to do that just to make this story kind of click with the audience. And then the second movement would be taking a more kind of normative turn that you're highlighting. Okay. What was normal in their world? Well, what's normative for us when we hear that now, mm-hmm. and that's where we can make this point, I think, which is the basic thesis of the sermon as we're, we're developing it. This
1: antithesis, relevant question. Right,
0: yeah, right. The base, <laughs> That basic thesis, right. Is, is the, that the gospel redefines community, um, which brings with it certain responsibilities, right. Yes. And that basic like rethinking. And to me, it's the heart of that is I, for me and the way I would execute that move, there'd be different ways. The way mm-hmm. I would execute it is to play with the language of Abraham right? Yeah. Yeah, And actually there's a little song that I grew up with. I don't know if you grew up with it. The father Abraham, which is the cheesiest (laughs) song, right? But to be able to draw, I mean, I'm already feel I'm getting choked up. Even now I can picture myself singing that in a goofy way. And then, right. But then singing it again in a more broken hearted way to say,
1: we're
0: all children of Abraham, right? What, Lazarus, you know, with his sores is a son of Abraham, right? He's and those dogs, Abraham. those dogs licking his, his sores in this life are a, are a symbol and a parable
1: yeah, of, of Abraham's
0: consolation to yeah. come yeah. and to really paint that picture with compassion. And then the third movement would be, I think, the thing that you told, which is painting a different picture what what it could have been how this story could have gone which is something i don't do very often no because you you get into
1: trouble there right but i
0: think it's a cool picture and you could almost just rewrite it you know uh almost beat by beat right and he was outside and the man right you know came out and shooed the dogs away and and with 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 a rag and just like good samaritan story right You, Mm -hmm. you know um, and
1: an invi- an ending with an invitation for you to go and rewrite somebody's story. Oh, yeah! there it is. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. You are invited to go and rewrite someone's yeah. story.
0: And in fact, you know, you could actually even end it because people, 10 out of 10 people still die. They're both going to die different. Yeah, they, 10 out of 10 Could 10 even 10 end 10. it with both of them being brought up by the angels to the bosom of Abraham to their at, fathers. at yes. Abraham's right hand. And that is left
1: right. in his
0: glory, just like Christ, right? Uh, <laughs> just like James and John want to sit at the right and left hand, you know, right, kind of right. paint a picture of of that community that we are, we're living into the future. Go and Now go in peace and serve the Lord, rewriting your story Somebody's and story. stories of those around you. Yeah. Oh, right, man. Because, right. of course, you rewrite somebody else's story, it ends up rewriting yours.
1: It ends up, re- <laughs> it ends up rewriting your DNA code. There you go. Because these kinds of uh, experiences tend to rewrite how we see everything else.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because that kind of privilege paradigm of ordering people around that doesn't belong at Abraham's side. It's not welcome there. Not that kind of thinking. Yeah. Well, man, that was good. I I don't know. Thank you so much for taking the time. I learned a lot and had a great time talking
1: with you. Today. Did you say you had a little uh, I, a, poem a, at the end? A, a prayer for the poor. And and uh, if, if that could, is, is that our closing? Oh, let's close with that.
0: And then I'll record my conclusion and my intro later. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Yeah.
1: Jesus, you said that the poor would be with us always. And they are here on street corners in blistering 100 degree heat, in tent cities away from the tourist attractions They are here, women and children, young folks and old folks, some displaced suddenly and others who slid into the abyss that hides them from our overly genteel hearts. The poor are among us. Here they are, Jesus, hungry and thirsty, in need of a doctor and a bath, desperation in a land of plenty, Ragged and shoeless, but criticized for not pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. Wake us to their humanity, O God, and shift our eyes from us and mine to these who are thine. Amen.
0: Amen. Lord, help us. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks so much for spending uh, about an hour with us uh, studying the Word of God. Many thanks to Dr. Sophia Fasua for the uh, time and insights and experiences that she brought to bear on the text today. I want to say a big thank you to Todd Bouchang and Eric Fisher for all the work that they do in helping make this podcast reality. I couldn't do it without them. And I also want to say thanks to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks most to you for uh, chiming in, listening in every week and uh, subscribing and sharing as well as rating and reviewing us and getting the word around uh, of what we're doing here. We hope that it's blessing you in some way. And we'd love to hear from you. You can at me on Twitter at, uh, at John L. Drury uh, or send me an email if you'd like. Uh, But yeah, so thanks so much. And with that, I say have a great preach and a good week.